Thanks for tuning in to another podcast, everybody. On this episode, Aaron, Greg, Ted, and I had a conversation about overlooked betting areas. Over the years, you've probably heard us and others talk about buck betting and some of the tendencies that we see with buck betting. But since we first started thinking about buck betting, we have hunted a lot of different areas. And with that, we've got more experience in different terrain and vegetation types. So we're going to be talking about some of the tendencies that we have found that are different than what we originally thought or some of the common themes that people often talk about when talking about buck bedding, especially in hill country. That's a lot of what we're talking about in this podcast is overlooked hill country bedding areas. We've also got our holiday sale going on right now. So if you guys have any interest in buying THP merch, you can go over to our website and you're going to find that everything is on sale. If you want to get an additional 10% off of those purchases right now, you can use the code ZACH to save you 10% as well. You can also use any of the other guys' names and that'll help you save some more money while also supporting THP. We really appreciate the support. If it wasn't for you guys supporting us over the years, we wouldn't be able to continue making videos and podcasts. Also, if you're in the market for some new gear, you can check out the Go Wild store and you can use the code THP to save you 10% on any orders off of their store as well. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So visit downloadgowild.com to get started. All right, let's talk overlooked betting tendencies in hill country. I, don't, I, think, it's, I think it's more depends on where the pressure's at because it, here I think that's we've a seen good that. Topic. Yeah. Just like, just like uh, different betting situations that uh, I did one with Bo Martonic a few weeks ago, and we kind of touched on that a little bit, but... I feel like it's something we could go into. A, a, we could do a full-on conversation about it because it's like there's all these like rules of where beds are, and it's just like I mean they're still there in a lot of these situations, sure. but not every one of them. It's just like dealing, it's figuring out how to hunt them is a different animal than trying to hunt them in flat, brushy, thick terrain. It's yeah. Like it's just different. Yeah, well, and even like one hill country section to the next, like I see a lot of different tendencies in Ohio than what I've seen I'm, while I've never hunted. Well, I guess filming Jake in Minnesota, I hunted Minnesota hill country, and like those are different hills. It's The terrain is different. So the tendency is definitely upper third there, but there's no, there's no levels wherein <clears throat> like different types of ridges they sometimes have like those different levels and elevation and you know that's not always the upper third sometimes it's the low bench you know i i mean i don't know. I know you talk a lot about ditches around here those ditches have been this year especially it's like it, most of the access is on the tops of the ridges the ridges are pretty open for the most part and we're talking about you know moderate rolling hills so there is some a few of them have benches a few of them are steep enough where there's you know there's some upper third bedding and travel and leeward sides and all that like they're they definitely bed wind based in them but 
it just every situation is different i think especially when it comes to hunting in hills it all depends on where the pressure is and where it's not and where what what's the most difficult place to hunt so Mm -hmm. so like let me think of the best way to put this if you're hunting in a marsh, what's the most difficult place to go into in that marsh and pull a buck out of? The middle of the like wet. what is yeah. like for all all details involved? Yes, the middle of the wet. Like how hard is it to go into the middle of those cattails and make a setup and get a twenty yard shot at a buck? Yeah. It's freaking hard. I mean, is this like Jake's buck from this year? Is this yep. bedded way out in the middle of? Yep the middle of a bunch of weeds out there yeah you can't i mean we had jake had the muzzle loader so that made it a lot easier but oh yeah to get within 20 yards of that thing would have been really tough no i i i think the exact same thing is what i've learned thus far this season when i was hunting those hills it's like what's the toughest place in there to mm-hmm. get on them and these are open woods for the most part mm-hmm that's the that's the tricky part of it is they're mostly wide open freaking woods mm-hmm. it's like where's the hardest place to kill them mm-hmm. in the bottom of those holes in the ditches yeah it's like every in all those secondary points and stuff pour down in there there's thermal hubs everywhere but as soon as you get down in there with any kind of wind speed it is just swirling all around mm-hmm. and then you've got thermals that are pulling down or going up and they just live in the bottom of those ditches that's where they're at during the day and when you the 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 hard part to discern is there's big rubs all through the woods Mm -hmm. it's like there's big rubs on the ridges there's big rubs on the side hills there's big rubs in the ditches there's scrapes on the ridges there's scrapes in the ditches but which ones are they using during the daylight the most they're in the bottom of those ditches i mean as low as they can go me and jake bumped one out of a bed that was laying at the very very bottom of the ditch like literally Mm -hmm. in the ditch right next to the wash up underneath a big eroded like piece of dirt and roots that were coming out it was i mean it was like he was a catfish in there yeah (laughs) i mean he was he was laid up underneath of that thing in the freaking bottom of it the lowest point that he could get wouldn't it be nice to just see him go down in there and not come out though yeah but then that's but that's was the trouble with that buck that i got a couple years ago was me and gucci were watching him down in that ditch and we had good enough wind up where we were at but it's like we wanted to go after him because it was so windy but it's like man we can't go in there as soon as we go in there it's gonna start kicking mm-hmm. around and swirling and me and jake we had slid down this this ridge and we were going towards this big ditch and we were about 20 yards from it open woods and we were standing there and i'm hemming and hawing around as usual you know can't make my mind up on where what the heck we're gonna do and we stand there for maybe 15 minutes while i'm stewing and jake's swiping through tiktok or whatever (laughs) Um, and all of a sudden he blows up out of there because he smelled us Uh he we eventually been there long right we eventually stood low enough um long enough in that low point of the ditch that our scent pulled or swirled or whatever hmm. he smelled us and took off out of there so me and jake immediately went down there to the bed and where he was laid at and there was huge rubs all around it all up and down that ditch and he was in the lowest spot possible and then we checked the camera that we had running for a month this is the same ditch that you and i bumped that big one out of on october 3rd mm-hmm. 
when we were I'm scout. Not, oh, okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking acorns. about now. Yep. Yep. I know we, what you're talking about now. We hung that camera, and I checked that camera, and there was two megas on there mm-hmm. just using that ditch during daylight or right on the verge of daylight. In the same ex- that's the tricky part though is that the sign looks exactly the same in the ditch as it looks on the tops of the ridges. Mm-hmm. But all those guys are hunting the tops of the ridges, including me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and not seeing them. Yeah, I mean that's what we did the whole first part of October was hunt the ridge tops. Yep. And where there was just piles and piles of fresh sign. Yep. And uh, to no avail. Yeah, we hunted those ridge tops <laughs> and we were hunt basically hunting like um leeward bedding upper third bedding and there there's deer there but not the big ones yeah not in this particular situation but that's why we always emphasize it's it depends on the situation that you're in mm-hmm. um if you're well, dealing with a situation like uh oh were you and keith uh or you and ben killed those turkeys a couple years ago out in kentucky mm-hmm. where you had to go way up over the top of the ridge mm-hmm to get back in there. If yep. you're dealing with a situation like that where the access is low yep. and you've got to climb up, then maybe just over the back they're they're bedding on those upper mm-hmm. thirds. But if the access is up high and it's easy walking up and on those ridges, mm-hmm. that's where everybody's going to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sure. sense. That's like that uh, Pennsylvania buck I was thinking about. Yeah. We just kept hunting in there up on the top of the ridge. And just he was our time. just off the side of that thing. Oh, yeah, I think and there, you guys found a pile of rubs on top of that ridge, didn't you? Yeah. I, that's one of the ones that just... Well, the funny thing about that is we walked up to the top, and there was two guys sitting there. So then we just dropped down, like, one little level, and it was all clear-cut or whatever mm-hmm. in there. And then followed that logging road, and that's where he was at. It was just off the side of that. Yeah. Just off the top, I should say. Yeah, and when we ridge, saw him him or another buck but i think what i saw was what we ended up shooting was uh more on the side hill yeah on the bench. i think two mornings before he kind of yeah. on a bench trail in that clear cut which is the same type of a trail that you guys eventually shot him in mm-hmm. was one of those uh-huh. bench yep. trails i think yep, yeah it, it was. was and i think that that's one of those ones i talk about it a lot it's one of those hunts that i look back on and it's just it was everything about that was so safe until you and i went in there it was super safe. Like you and I, Greg scouted it. Then Ted and I hunted it the most on top in the evenings and then kind of lower in the mornings. And then you and I started we getting about little... didn't even go in there that day. I went with you cause I was so sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I was bad sick. You were in the toilet, weren't you? Oh yeah. I was hitting the, <laughs> the toilet of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And eventually I got back to the truck and I was just like, and Z- Zinger's like, dude, we really don't have to go, man. We can just go back. I'm like, no, oh, man, we're going to go. <laughs> and eventually, like an hour or two later, I started feeling better. But and we, and we saw him, but we were being more mobile in that stuff. And, I, yeah, I guess without harping on it too much, it's just one of those hunts that I look back on, and it was everything was super safe and playing it safe and, and instead of being aggressive. And, you know, ultimately it ended up, to where we got the opportunity and I'll always be happy about that, but I'll always try to learn from that one is something that I just wish I would have been more aggressive on it. It kind of in a weird way haunts me. I wish we would have just been like, 
we found that spot on the first place we walked into mm-hmm. it, and then we never left it until day six when we finally shot one. And it was just like, man, we probably could have just like learned at the very least learned more about Pennsylvania versus just hunting that one ridge and just you know bouncing around the outskirts. But I guess uh, they're all every situation is yeah. different. I mean, I mean it was a, down it was, the road was on some of those other areas that we'd scouted in PA was just different. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, that there was, was more a, pressure in some of those other areas yeah. too. So that was a perfect example though, of a clear cut on a side, on a side hill and an open ridge top. Mm-hmm. It's like they're leaving all that sign on the ridge top at night mm-hmm. and they're spending their days on that thick side hill yeah. where nobody's hunting. Cause there's no trees big enough to get a tree stand in hardly. And a hard shot opportunity. Yeah. Pretty much regardless, whether, no matter how your setup looks, whether always it's in a tree on the ground, it's like it's, you don't have a lot of shots. They always are in the freaking worst spots to yeah. kill them. They're totally. always in the toughest spots. That's why like talking about gun season a little bit, I'm, I'll, we'll circle back to this, but all the, the biggest ones that we've seen or shot in gun season are like in these tight little areas a lot of times where you can shoot where they're within bow range. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about going into a middle of a bedding area where you can only see 25 yards with a rifle mm-hmm. or, or a shotgun or something. And it's like, well, you got the gun, use it, you know, because you got that extended range. But when they start getting pressured, they're going to go into those holes where they're super, super safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like, and to that's think the of same it. thing with these stupid ditches that I've been dealing with all fall. I guess it's not necessarily a, a, a terrain feature, but a vegetation type. A few years ago, I started thinking about where are the places, and this is when we were hunting Iowa. It's like, where are the places in Iowa that a deer can go where it can't be shot with a gun or can't be, you know, you can't put a scope on it or whatever. And it's like, pin oak, around here, pin oaks, cedars, and tall grass. Tall grass. And, and those are, I guess those are the three that jump out, but the pin oaks and the cedars, it was like, Man, every time we get around those scrubby pin oaks, it's like there's tons of bucks on There's always bucks mm-hmm. around them. And it started dawning on me. It's like, well, you can't shoot them with a gun in there. And I, 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 that's not uh, – I guess I – You could just, barely shoot them with a bow in there. Right. You got to kneel underneath the pin oaks pretty well to shoot them. Mm-hmm. And I just always try to think, what vegetation type can I find where, wherever it is that I am that's the same thing as those pin oaks or cedars and the role they play for deer cover here – how can I find that somewhere else? Because it doesn't matter if it's gun season or not. If there's any amount of pressure, a big buck is going to like to hang out in those areas, it seems. And now you can obviously catch him in vulnerable times, but when he's moving or looking for does or with the doe, but most days of the bow season or the hunting season in general, they going to be in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and you guys have hunted some of that hill country stuff out in Ohio too, where you um have done all those pushes and stuff um during late muzz and i think i haven't been there but didn't you say like as soon as you crack the ridge they're pretty much gone yeah it's like it's It's like they can see so so they can see from so far away Mm -hmm. and that's the same thing that we're dealing with over there this year when we were hunting these hills is you don't have all that thick cover which is a good and a bad thing because you can see a long ways but if if we weren't targeting those deer bedding in those in the ditches, it was really really freaking difficult because there's acorns everywhere. I mean, there's just these are big. This is big stands of white oaks and red oaks, 
and this was a heavy acorn year. So there's buck sign all over those woods. And we were just targeting the wrong bedding throughout most of the month of October. It's like they were in the bottoms of those holes, but the, the most challenging part of it was, was the wind. It's like mm-hmm. whenever we would find one of them in, the, in one of those holes, it was like, man, how in the – we could not figure out mm-hmm. how to get down there. And if the sucker stands up and just does nothing but browse on acorns until dark, you can sit on the ridge, maybe uh, maybe right on the lip where you can see him in there. But if you don't have the right wind, and I mean it has to be literally the exact perfect condition. Like, for example, that dish we were talking about earlier where Mm -hmm. we put that camera and me and Jake jumped that buck. The ditch is flowing down from the south to the north. So the highest, spot, highest part of the, di- the drainage is at the south end. Mm-hmm. And there's all these secondary points that dump off, and then the main ditch hits and goes down to the creek. So in the evening, if it's dead calm, your thermals are going to pull from south to north downstream or yep. down the ditch. Yep. Well, in order to hunt that of an afternoon and not get busted, you have to hunt it on a south wind that's blowing straight down the ditch and it's got to be fairly light because if it's really really a high wind it's going to kick over those ridges mm-hmm. and just swirl and, and tumble down through there so it's like there's one condition that you can hunt that dang ditch on mm-hmm. in the evening and it's a calm south wind and the leaves are so dang crunchy mm. how in the heck do you get down there <laughs> yeah it's like sure. you got okay so it's got to be a wet it's got to be wet conditions. It's got to be windy during the afternoon, then falling off so that you can jump right or slide right in there in the base of the ditch two hours before dark uh-huh. and then make your setup. And then your thermals are pulling down. Your wind is pulling right down the ditch. The buck is ideally bedded just right up above you within 100, 150 yards if you got in there without him seeing you because it's open. And then you have a, you have a snowball's chance in <laughs> right. hell at that point <laughs> and it's like holy crap no yeah. wonder the thing's down there yeah because uh-huh. it's so freaking hard that spot we were at tonight greg where we were both talking about it all the way out it's like man that spot is absolutely money well the reason is because we had those very exact conditions mm-hmm. and we were talking about when we were in the tree we had to have a west southwest that's blowing literally right straight up the ditch because if it's coming either yeah, it's uh, just off, it. it's going to swirl and kick around. You're screwed. Mm-hmm. And if it's calm, it's the thermals are going to pull as soon as the sun goes down and your scent's going to pull all underneath of the tree. And you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Right where those does went. Right where those does went. But since it was high winds, even after dark, 25 miles an hour, that overrode any thermal pull that we would have had going back down in there. So we were able to get away with it. But it's like you can't just hunt it on a west southwest. It has to be you have to hunt it specific west on a twenty mile an hour or a fifteen plus whatever west southwest. But I think that's really um, important condition based decisions, and something that you said this summer is you were talking a lot about conditions and choosing, you know, what you were doing last season based off of conditions and i felt like last year when i had made it to ohio with roy i neglected that like that's a regret i have from last season specifically is that i was not looking ahead of conditions so this year i focused on it a ton 
and I'm way more confident. And it was all because one time in the in the summer, and I don't even remember which podcast it was, but you were talking about conditions, and it's just like, dang, like I have to put that at the front of my mind to be super particular because I was like in past seasons when I felt like I was you know at my best it was I was looking into that and something too that I've started doing I started doing it too late last year but was making a plan for like taking as many days ahead as you can and saying this day this condition fits this spot right this day this condition fits this spot and this spot and this spot and then even if today doesn't work then tomorrow you got confidence because you're like, hey, this is a good spot. And mm-hmm. we got the conditions for it. And doing that and being really uh, focused on that this season has, I feel like, has helped me have so much more confidence and has definitely put, you know, has helped with sightings in a lot of the thing, in a lot of decisions. Like the day that um, we saw the, the big one right before daylight in Minnesota. We waited and waited and waited. I mean, we were wanting to hunt that scrape line, but we had finally windy conditions to where we could get through that super thick woods. And then we saw, I mean, he, it was before Lake Light a few minutes, but he did what we wanted him to, and we got yeah. in there without mm-hmm. spooking him. And I think that, you know, I don't, I felt like last year I just neglected that. And I don't, I think part of it was because I'd been hunting with Jake and he was kind of condition you know looking at the conditions and i was just doing whatever he wanted to where all of a sudden that now that i've got a bow and it's my job to make that decision i wasn't used to doing that Mm -hmm. and it was like all of a sudden i'm like wait i'm not paying enough attention to conditions and i think just keeping that in the front of your mind also not only makes you have effective setups but also gives you confidence that even if today doesn't work tomorrow i'm going to a great spot and the day after i'm going to a great spot and i'm going to a great spot and you just you know kind of schedule out what you're doing and it doesn't have to be perfect or fit a schedule by any means but it definitely helps me kind of well me and keep ted my confidence i guess me and ted were joking around about this because somebody i don't know who it was but some outdoor hunting personality or something was talking about how their top three things, you know, for killing big bucks. And uh, number one was access, access, access. I got to have perfect access into this this tree stand or this blind or whatever it was. And it's like, Ted, do you know, do you know any spot that we have on public <laughs> land where we have perfect access? Less the one that we hunted tonight. Was really good. What guy or what is it? What you remember? We were talking about this. No, I was I was talking about access and like how important it is whenever you're going in to hunt somewhere that you got to get in and out without spooking all the deer. Uh huh. Well, where in the hell are we ever able to do that on public land? <laughs> not very many places. No, not very often. Yeah. Because you like, you gotta, if you're coming in from the one public access, well, that's the only place you can come into this particular spot. You're uh-huh. going into a back corner somewhere that's real thick and gnarly. Mm-hmm. And when you get back there, there's like, there's one way in and there's one way out. It's not like you can manipulate a trail up and around it where you can, 
you know, uh-huh. I can do like at dad's farm, I can do all kinds right, of cool right. stuff. You can, manip- yeah. you can control yeah. those factors. Oh yeah. We got like switch grass and we got a path mode through there. One year we put some plots green on the edge of the food plot <laughs> so we could take the switch grass path up and then we could go around the plots green and climb into our favorite stand with the wind blowing right back out the way that we came in uh-huh. and thermals pulling down the hill on any kind of an east wind. Didn't matter the speed or anything like that. Yeah, it's great because it's not very stressful for me. So, which is good. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the one thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about the conditions is like how freaking hard it is to get yeah. in and out of these spots to where you can hunt them consistently over and over again. Mm-hmm. And occasionally we find one of them. Yeah. Well, that's but, what like this buck that when Greg and Keith and I went in there on that muzz deer and there was that one ditch yep. down in there and all those ridges are coming down in there, but we kept hunting the tops because yep. the weather wasn't allowing us to get down in there. And there was so much sign on the tops. And then me and Keith would go in there bow hunting and we'd bump a doe or something, or we'd bump a deer and we couldn't tell what it was. So we're like, and there's all these fresh scrapes around. So we'd hunt it and then we wouldn't see nothing. <laughs> and so then finally we got, a day that was going to be the perfect wind like you're perfect talking conditions. about that was coming straight up the gut of that ditch like i think it what was it northwest northwest yeah which was perfect because it's all just flat and open to the northwest so the the wind was you know coming right through there going right up the gut up that ditch so we were able to slip down in there with the conditions and get down close to the ditch where all those deer were living at or at least that buck was living there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just took several hunts in order to figure that out. I think the thing that I learned from that as much as anything was not having any fear of going past the does, like making that decision. And Keith talked about that a lot of how he was, you know, I don't know. I guess what that he had learned that, you know, just moving past those does and pushing through, even though it's uncomfortable, because you're bumping deer every yeah, because, 50 because yards it doesn't or whatever. fit the bill of yeah. the perfect access. Right. You and can't. That, yeah, that's I mean, the thing. There's no other way. Yeah. We just kept bumping does and we were like, well, you know, we were pretty much made up our mind that we were going to try and get to that bottom to hunt it. And so we just kept bumping them in front of us, you know, and it, I guess what I was afraid of was at one, you know, one of those does was going to end up being a big buck. And then, then you really feel like you did something wrong. But they just kept being does and does and does until we got all the way to the back, which was, I don't know, probably a mile back in there or something from the parking lot. Yeah, you got all the way up against the hole, the ditch yeah. at the bottom, and that's where he was. Yeah. That's but your... even if you would have bumped a big buck, think about all the times that that did nothing but allow us to know where one is and then ultimately get him, uh-huh. whether it be that day or the next day or, yeah. you know, like a lot of times. So, like, yeah. I have... I have to sometimes tell myself, dude, even if you bump a big buck, that might be the best thing that could happen today. And although in the moment it hurts, but helps like, it mm-hmm. helps the next year or the next week or, or two like, years later. Or that yeah. day. I mean, the buck that yeah. Ben and I killed in Ohio that year, we shot him that night. Oh, yeah. You know, the one you killed. George, the buck. Well, yeah, that and one that, and the buck and with the, the bow. With the bow. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the Georgia one. Dump. I wasn't even thinking about that, but same thing. It's like, yeah. Something that allows you to know one's there. And I'm not saying that, you know, every single time that that's going to work out that way. But 
there's always info to be learned. So it's just one of those things that you almost have to like, okay, I'm just going to, even though this is uncomfortable, I'm going to just keep going mm-hmm. because I think that may, I have this feeling that that's the spot just getting there, you know, sometimes is, is worth it. Sometimes it's not, but. That hike was unique too in that the weather conditions allowed us to bump does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of times they, because of the weather, the wind and everything, they didn't know what we were. They spooked very lightly. They didn't go mm-hmm. blowing or when, if they did spook, you know, other deer couldn't hear them essentially yeah. taking off or mm-hmm. anything like that. Otherwise, I mean, on a calm day, you get like this cascade of deer. You oh, spook yeah. a deer and then it just in turn spook more deer and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That would make a guy lose confidence. Yeah. Like you're, you're ruining what you're going into, yeah. but mm-hmm. we, we never felt that way on that yeah. hunt. Like it was, that's a good, that's a really good point yeah. in addition to that, because the, one of the most frustrating hunts that, um, I've ever been on was the one with Keith in 2020 in Ohio. We had nothing but just warm and super calm. And as it got, you know, day after day after day of that, that leaf matter just kept getting more and more dried out. And what we were talking about, like earlier with some muzzleloader hunts, as soon as you get into the same valley as them, it doesn't matter if they're 600 yards away. As soon as they hear that human walking, one deer goes and it runs down and back up the other side and you're just like well now everybody knows that we're here Uh and and so that is a different a different example in uh comparison to that though the one that we were talking about in that those same areas that same season the one that we bumped he was lightly bumped there was a little bit of a breeze that day and it was also much quieter leaf conditions there were more moist in general so we were just able to walk much quieter and he didn't ever really even know what was going on the other deer actually bumped in front of him and he just kind of trotted down through there like oh you know i don't even know what we're running from Mm -hmm. and i think that you know so again always situational but i think that's a really good point that is easy to brush over where it's like, oh yeah, bump, bump on it. It's not that big there, of a deal. Well, it is still sit- situational, man. We'll beat that one. We'll beat uh, that we one to death for a while here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just how it is yeah. on most of the public land that we hunt. It's like it's every single hunt and every single place is so nuanced and different, if you will, like that. You can't just say, "Oh, here's the best. Here's your top three tips for hunting public yeah, land." Yeah. So actually, like, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask <laughs> good you. Good luck with that. I was actually going to ask you. So what were the other? So access, access, access. What else we uh, got? Access and scent control, and <clears throat> mm-hmm. I don't remember what else there was. <laughs> it was access, scent control, and then time in the stand or something. I mean, and it's all stuff that's you know whatever. And it makes sense when they explain it. Um, and if you're hunting a if you're hunting an area that's controlled that you can manipulate and you, you know, know how much pressure you're putting on the deer, then it can work. But I just think I've thought about that access tip that he was given. And I know that that's, that it works. Like when you get bulletproof Mm, access, which usually on public land, some of our best access is when we're using water access. Yeah, like when we're using a boat or waders or something like that. But if we're not, I mean, it's usually it's waiting. It, it's rough, <laughs> and it's usually waiting for like the absolute one hundred percent perfect time to strike, and then going in there and doing exactly what you just were talking about, Ted. Uh-huh. Where it's like, okay, 
boys, we've been in here hunting. We know there's a big one in here. We've we've struck out the last five times. We got the conditions today. Let's blow it up. We're going for it. And then you go in there and you blow 90% of the deer out and you kill him. And it's like those nights are fun walking out, honestly, because it's like clank, bang, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, uh-huh. I, I don't worry about like, on like tonight getting out of the tree because we were in a really good spot and we didn't booger anything out and we had really good access out mm-hmm. me and greg were super careful to get out of there mm-hmm. but if you're going to one of those go for broke spots <laughs> yeah it's just like all right it's peace. like yeah i mean <laughs> i don't even lower the platforms i just chuck them <laughs> it's like, because i mean you you just went in there and you uh, yeah. just blew everything up but uh-huh. if you haven't you're about to yeah. it's like but there's no other option Mm-hmm. If you want to hunt where the big ones are, right. you have to go into that hairy spot. Uh-huh. And yeah. if you could access through the private land that's, you know, 400 yards away on the fence line, it might not be an issue. You might be able to slide right out of there without spooking them all. But chances are you're you're either having to walk through a feeding area to get back in there and then walk back out through the same feeding area. So for an afternoon hunt, it's like, yeah, it's no big deal to walk across this, you know, 80-acre cut bean field. Uh huh. But walking out two hours after dark, when you're three miles back in there, you're like, yeah, yeah there's going to be 30 deer on the beans right. when you walk through them. But there's no yep. other way for you to get out. So people ask us that question all the time. Is like, well, what do I do? Like, well, if you want to kill the big buck that's living back there, you got to hunt at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, there's just no magic pill that you can well, take. You just I have know. to use the conditions to your advantage when you finally get get them and get in there and hope to kill him uh-huh. i also feel like there's been series of hunts every season that i've had uh maybe not as much this year yet but could happen still but i, I guess somebody in the group or you know somebody has this series of hunts where it's like bam 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 and then you get him because mm-hmm. that also happens that i feel happens like that's all the another time. question that uh, comes up often is like, you know, I bumped this buck, but there's big scrapes and rubs everywhere in here. Should I not come back? Should I leave? Should I go somewhere else? It's like, I would say no. Don't leave. Depends keep... on the nature in which you bump it. Well, and honestly, it depends on how much sign there is, too, because it's yeah. like, man, in some of those very best ripped up spots, it's like, think about the timber nest in 16. Mm-hmm. It's like if we would have bumped a shooter out of there. Wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. There's four more in there. Right. And some places are like that. No, not. You know, not everywhere in the country has four shooters on, you know, one ridge system or something, but... Some places do. Some places do. Heck, in Indiana, where we were hunting last year, nobody saw anything out of, like, five... Four out of the five groups didn't see a shooter for a week. John Lewis was seeing mm-hmm. three or four shooters <laughs> a sit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, coming back to camp and, like, yeah, I saw another big one. It's like, how many big ones have you seen in there? Yeah. Like six. Yeah, and you're like, how many can there even be? But like, It's like, how many more guys can you get in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. You guys sticking off. All yeah, that would be great. But, yeah, I mean, you're just not going to – sometimes you're going to run into one buck. They're, they got personalities like you're gonna run into one buck that's tearing up the woods and he's living right there in that particular area during that time frame and uh, people always think we're these these super aggressive hunters every single time that's not it that's not the case like with that buck that you killed that you were just talking about ted mm-hmm. there's a a lot of scouting and hunting that takes place before that buck's killed mm-hmm. a lot 
I yeah. mean, Jake was the one that went in there first and found sign. Yep. And then he hung a trail camera in there, not in that particular spot, but like a couple ridges down. And then he hunted in there, bumped a big one, got some pictures on that trail camera. And then Keith and I started hunting around in there. Yeah, hunting the edges basically and hunting yeah. the top of the ridges and stuff and just stage hunting in there and then eventually yeah. diving into the... Yeah, but that was over, of course. I, we shot him on October 16th and I think Jake scouted it the first time. It was October 1st or 2nd, honestly. Yeah, the first couple of days of the month. Yeah. So. As soon as he just hung... And he hung a camera. He walked in there on the access path right where you park and there was a scrape there. So he hung a camera over that and left. And that's all he did the first day. So literally the first day that we, anybody from our group went into that spot, we didn't even go all the way into the spot. We just hung a camera by the access path, 50 yards in the truck. Mm -hmm. And then he went and checked it the next day. There was two big bucks on it going back. And I was like, Jake, me and Gooch spooked a really big one Mm -hmm. here, you know, half a mile from where those, that scrape is, but those bucks are headed that direction. Like there's a good chance they're going to be bedded in those similar spots again this year. And, you know, after a series of hunts and more intel comes in, then boom, you can make, you ha- you're you armed with enough information at that point to make a calculated aggressive strike and mm-hmm. kill one of them. And it helps to have the smoke pole in your hand <laughs> Yeah, when you do that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that that was a, could have been a bow kill deer. Could've. Like had we yeah. got in there early, got yeah. set up where you wanted to like that. Yeah. Come and do a scrape right out of that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been perfect really for bow bow yeah. on he was only 40 yards or something when we shot him yeah yeah but i think back back going kind of back to the the hill country bedding and kind of unique tendencies there i'm i'm interested in that conversation just because i do feel that there's sometimes a little bit too much of a rule book when it comes to bedding in in general and we certainly have talked about buck bedding over the years and and talked about tendencies, but I think the important part of it is tendencies can vary. And I feel like I just continue to learn more and more about those tendencies, just going to different places and seeing different areas. And, you know, I remember, you know, the upper third thing, you know, and, and mm-hmm. seeing a lot of, and seeing a lot of sign, you know, in, in here in like Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, and some of that sign was being seen when we were turkey hunting too, like bedding sign and, you know, rubs and stuff in the upper third. But then it's like you get into these different types of terrain and they're pretty similar, but they're just these subtle differences. And another thing when we're talking about timber or timbered ridges, I guess, hill country timbered ridges is cover. And one of the most fascinating things to me, no matter where it is, is how... In one hill country setting, a buckle bed in the most wide open, mm-hmm. easy to see stuff ever. And then the next one, or maybe even the next day, that same buck will be in the middle of the clear cut where he can't see anything and mm-hmm. you can't see anything. And it's just like, you try to you try to say, well, they're only bedding in the clear cuts, right? Like when we're, so Tyler, when we're muzzleloader hunting, uh-huh. Tyler's always like, oh, they're all in the clear cuts. They're in the clear cuts. And it's like, man, sometimes they're in the clear cuts. But then, like, the bucks that him and I killed last year were in the most wide open ridge that we hunt. The, mm-hmm. Like, the most wide right open mm-hmm. ridge. But they bed there, and we've seen them bed there before to the point where that's why we've started targeting that 
that there's that a reason spot. that they use that spot and they they move around mm-hmm. right <laughs> they, they they don't bed in the same little hole all the time it's like when we find buck bedding in a given areas like man that thing might honestly be there five days out of the whole year right but right. it still is an area that he beds in mm-hmm. like yeah. this big one that we're after right now mm-hmm. like we know half a dozen spots that he likes to frequent pretty much between from now until middle of january and we don't know when he's gonna show up in those he could be there tomorrow morning he could be there in a week he could be there in two weeks mm-hmm. it's just very difficult but that but yeah then like, but then like back to what you were saying earlier and i like that i really do like that uh where's the hardest place yeah to get a shot at him yeah where's the hardest place just to get at him yeah. it's like where's the hardest place that you can think of to go in there and kill one and some of those in, pl- in some public areas have or just areas of the country in general have tons of those places and mm-hmm. some of them have very few and i think it's really interesting jake often talks about um wisconsin cattail marshes and how the people that are having success in those places are finding like the specific bed that is the hardest to get to and is you know through the water through the junk like hard to to get to hard to shoot to whatever and those bucks are coming from that exact spot and that's how a lot of people are shooting them and i that's really interesting and really cool but that certainly doesn't happen everywhere because on the other hand you can be in a place where you know there's all of these different opportunities and maybe day to day they're just bouncing from one to the next and they're i mean certainly in their uh, head there's some sort of rhyme and reason but it's hard to predict that a lot of times so therefore you know maybe in those types of situations you, you try not to get too caught up in the specifics of betting to target one buck or something i don't know i there's I, too many just, things that change mm-hmm. year in and year out oh yeah i mean you can you definitely take that into account and you store it in your memory banks but it doesn't it's not the end all be all thing it's like this year with the heavy acorn crop there was tons of bucks in this oak timber the one consistent thing that we we're seeing is they're bedding in these ditches and these holes like I've talked about already. But every single buck is different. Mm-hmm. Like one buck may be using a ditch system with five or six secondary ridges that fall into it. And he might use that thing for two weeks in early October. The next buck may use that same exact ditch system, but he may be there one day and then over the top of a big ridge the next mm-hmm. for three or four days. And then he may sw- he might be circle three miles away. He know? might it's be. Like... <laughs> it it just depends on like they're once they get old, they just have these personalities about them that are that are unique and different. And some of them will will adhere to one spot, and some of them will just bounce around and drive you nuts. Mm-hmm. Like I feel when, like I feel like one thing that confused me like um, there was a big wave of information about finding the specific bed and like hunting this one specific bed all the time whether it's in the hill country or whatever like you know all these videos came out about finding a specific bed and then going in in the summertime and then going in there and Mm -hmm. trying to hunt that a deer coming from that bed and that threw me off because you know back in high school i would go out and i'd try and find these beds and then I'd try and hunt them and all this stuff, and I wouldn't see any deer or whatever. And then I feel like I learned that it's more 
can be a little bit more generalized than that Mm -hmm. to where it's like, okay, well, this looks like a good spot for one to bed. I don't have to go in there and find a bed where there's a bunch of rubs around it or something. I can just assume, all right, there's probably a deer bedding in here Mm -hmm. and hunt the sign around the edges of that where deer are coming out of. Mm -hmm. But that the specific bed thing, I know that confused me for confused a lot of a people. while. Yeah, a lot of people. Because sometimes was, we do hunt specific beds. Yeah, I mean but, that. But it's it's like all the stars have to align a lot of times for them to be in there. But every situation is so different. Like that spot where you killed your bow buck and where Jake shot the muzz buck. Mm-hmm. Me and Gooch jumped a buck out of that bedding area in 2020 two years ago mm-hmm. but that year was very similar to this year in the fact that those oaks up there were loaded with acorns mm-hmm. if you go in there three four years ago and there's not a, a high acorn crop there might be a doe or a little bucket using that bedding area mm-hmm. almost every day and rarely a big buck is in there mm-hmm. this year because of all the acorns there was probably a big buck in that bedding area darn near every day yeah. it might not have been the same buck but because of the amount of sign and the amount of bucks on acorns through the first part of October, they were using that bedding area consistently. Mm-hmm. But forget about that for next year. I mean, next mm-hmm. year we may not have we may have zero white oak acorns and and a small amount of red oak acorns. Um, I think so that might concentrate them in different spots in those woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many environmental factors that can change that water levels, yeah. mm-hmm. drought. Well, and that's why I think it's important. To scout for bedding areas and scout for sign because I feel like when Aaron, you and I spent so many hours in 2016 just looking at different beds. Oh, yeah. Just reps. Yeah. And that's, what ha- that's how I would describe it is reps. And through all that time, it was like you're getting another experience where you see a bed and you can look at it and you can inspect every detail of it. And I think that's always important no matter yeah well, you know that's no super how many helpful. times you've done it because then you can do what you're saying ted you can do that more generalized and you can assume that okay in this terrain feature or this vegetation type or this transition line i've seen them bed in something similar but now that these environmental factors have changed mm-hmm. now i can make the guess as to where they're going or why they may be using this one over this one so i think it's important to look at specific beds but I don't always think that it's important to, or, or I guess it's not super crucial to have one that in particular that you want to set up on unless you see other signs telling you, hey, this is this is worth hunting right now, I guess. Mm-hmm. So like, I just like getting, I like that term though of reps of bet. Like, I think if you're, hunting, if you're hunting the same areas year in and year out, public or private, it's going to really help you if you go in there and you inspect a ton of the beds mm-hmm. in those areas and you sort of reverse engineer what was going on as far as environmental factors in that particular area during that time. It's like, was it a heavy acorn year and, you know, whatever is going on in that particular area and why, and why are these beds where they are right now? That's going to help you a ton. But we go to so many new areas and so many different spots. Like we don't, we occasionally hunt the same stuff right. over and over again. Mm-hmm. But we are always looking at different new stuff. And every time I try to draw on, 
you know, a past experience in some new area, there might be three out of 10 things that are similar mm -hmm. from that one and seven new and different ones. But, so that, but that, but that still ultimately that does stack up. really, really oh, yeah. helps. Like I feel True. like that, it's like, and I love. Well, like, tonight I'm, if we, if we would have never got the education about how deer bed in, in different terrains and everything tonight, when we climbed up in that stand, we were like, man, we're going to be able to probably see deer bedded from here mm -hmm. because uh, we're in the ditch. We're looking up at these two side hills and there's a very distinct hard transition on the upper third of both of those side hills to grass and cedars and then timber. It's like they're going to they're going to be bedded right along that transition on the leeward side of those hills and they all the way down through there. That's where they were all at. That's where the, all those does got up. That's where that big buck came from. I eventually spotted a little buck that was just laying up there 75 yards from us. Um, and it's like, if you don't have that, if you don't know that that's a possibility that you're climbing up mm -hmm. in an area where you're going to be able to see bedded deer, you might not be real careful. Right. Mm -hmm. You might not be real careful about clanking, you know, buckles on a stick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because I've done that plenty of times. And if it would have been calm, I don't think there's any way we would have got away with yeah. that setup. We would have boogered no, those not, deer. We wouldn't have got in there, first of all. No, we wouldn't have got Without in there. Without them or got nope. set up. Yeah. There's no way. So all that, the it uh, always comes back to betting in some way, shape, or form. Well, so and, it's important to know those details. Well, but and, and, and it's like when you get a bunch of examples of it, again, you can predict exactly where it may be, even if you've never seen it. But like... There's an example that comes to mind where year in and year out, I'd bumped a buck off this one spot. It was right along the river under a willow. And it wasn't necessarily right under that same willow, but it was in, you know, a little patch of them. So there's, I don't know, three to five that I'd specifically jumped a buck right underneath. It wasn't always a big one. Mm -hmm. But I was in there with Jake one time and... I threw my glass right under every one of those trees, and about the third or fourth one, there was sun, and he was a huge buck laying right under one of those trees, and it's just like, that moment, you know, you sh it's like you shouldn't have even been able to see him, but it was because yeah. in that exact spot, I'd seen him there before, but then you can still take that to the next spot where it's like, you know, if you're seeing a lot of buck sign coming out of a similar place, you can you can take that a little extra time to glass right under every one of those trees and look for that time movement, look for that ear flicker. And I, I, I really, really love trying to pick them out of those spots. Like I, that's just so fun to me. I don't know. Well, everybody likes they'll use, a, like they'll use a specific bed or bedding area. I mean, mature bucks will use them like that and some with some level of consistency, but you can't just find one and then go to it. Um, most situations you got to, there's a lot of other clues and a lot of other factors at play. This year, I mean, Keith bumped that one big one back here in the same spot that me and Gooch bumped that buck that I killed. Mm -hmm. Same exact spot, same exact conditions. Mm -hmm. um, heavy acorn year, very similar. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot of the same things were going on this year that were going on that year when we killed that one. Yeah. But it's just stars got to align <laughs> in some of those spots, but yeah what's uh as far as like unique bedding bedding tendencies that you you've noticed recently that you feel like maybe you weren't picking up on a few years ago is there anything that comes to mind to anybody 
Uh, uh, not really. Other than the ditch stuff, that's that's been that's been the the thing that's really opened my eyes this this year in particular. Because they they are going in that it, there's some consistency to it. It's a heavy acorn year, and they're in. You know, we're finding them bedding in ditches over here, 60 miles away. We're finding them bedding in ditches over there. Mm-hmm. And it ain't just a ditch. It's they're remote holes that are way the heck back in there that are really steep ravines almost that are that are dropping off in those bottoms. Yeah. Right. Like that, really, it's a really heavy deep. wash with big eroded banks on it. Do you, and do you, you get down in there and it's like they're hard to cross because they're so, they're so gnarly. <laughs> But if they find a little flat spot or something right up against the edge of that ravine with just a, a wall of a ridge behind them, they'll lay right there. I feel like we <laughs> talked about this once. And Do you think that sometimes that playing into the acorn year is because down there it's super easy to get the acorns? Like it's just easy to pick them off the dirt in oh, yeah. some of those places? It's just like, yeah, they're all falling right here. It's like I got a little funnel. It's like a little feed funnel. <laughs> yeah, and some of those are creek bottoms, and there's water close by. They've got That's does. Where, where New and I bumped that one, there was a little bit of sign, and then there was just tons of acorns all right down there in his bed. Oh, he was right man, in the bottom. we bumped that sucker off of there, I was just so pissed. I was like, <laughs> I was like, USOB, you're down here in that spot, and you're, and you're thinking that you're alive and you're well? Well, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know how in the heck we're going to kill you down here. Like that thing took off. We were sneaking down through the woods and he, we boogered him in a hundred yards. And then we sat there and scratched our heads for 30 minutes and like, how in the heck are we going to f- find a way to get in there and get tight enough to him in order to kill him in that spot? It's so like, it made total sense why he's down there, mm-hmm. but there's so many other deer up and around him in the, it wasn't high wind, wet conditions, and like you don't have anything to really hide behind to get in there because it's so open. But I think if you spend enough time in those hills, you're going to see some repeatable bedding patterns when it comes to those. And I just wish that's been the biggest takeaway for me this year is I wish I would have spent more time in them. I just, it, it every one of those spots, it, it takes some sort of you know houdini act to get in there and you need perfect conditions to do it and i just didn't i either didn't have them to go in there and be super aggressive or i was just worried about the dang trail camera pictures on the ridge (laughs) or the sign on the ridge yeah the one thing that i see that's a unique one that um i mean i know that ben and i have talked about it for a long time even back before you know we really knew anything about betting but bowls and ben talks about bowls even more than i do i feel like it's something i probably overlook a little bit too much but a good bowl where it's it's kind of like the it's it's just like a bigger scale ravine not make bigger scale maybe isn't the word but it's more of like a flatter more gradual version of a ravine where they can kind of go in there and it's and it kind of has this like stadium feel to it and and i there's kind of a couple different uh types of beds that i would consider i've started naming them stadium beds and i really like that term because 
it's kind of like you're at the bottom of the you're on the playing field and 360 degrees around you you can see so like in hill country for example a stadium bed would be look a couple different ways first one is a ridge like a smaller lower finger ridge that has higher ridges all around it and as soon as hunter comes crashing down in there it's oh just yeah like, they all mm, know he can yeah, see it a lot of times you'll find a huge bed on a spot like that and it's really easy to see in the winter time or especially with snow because you really do have a 360 degree view around you and really to get in on him would be really challenging a, a, a bowl bed is similar where he's down at the bottom of that bowl and he can kind of just look in every direction whether you're coming up from the bottom or coming over the top he can see you and similar to the ravine bed you got a swirly son wind. of a gun to get the swirly wind, right, wind you know so those and are, the thing is, is if you're in a, any sort of big woods with a bunch of ridge systems in it, there might be a bunch of those. Mm-hmm. So, like, there might be 15 spots like that on that public area, and there's a big buck in four of them. Right. But there might not be very many spots where there's, like, this huge concentration of deer. It's like there's just one here. Right. And if you booger that that particular one up on that day, then you either got to follow him to another one or you got to go hunt another one. Like, that's what we found when we got to dealing with these things this year, too. It's like, man, we got a bunch of different ones on camera in this particular area, but they're not all coming out of the same bedding area. Mm-hmm. They're all just converging on these, these you know, social scrapes in the middle of the night. Yeah. But they're, they're bedding in these different ditches or these different bowls or whatever based on the wind. Mm-hmm. And they're territorial enough at towards middle to end of october that they're not wanting to be right on top of each other mm-hmm. so you got to be super strategic about how you go in there and, and hunt it's like man you might only see one deer and it might be him especially if he's bedded in a stadium bed like what you're talking about yeah. it's like that thing may be laying in the bottom of that thing and looking up and around him <laughs> especially if you're in a, in a big wood scenario where you don't have high deer density man that's uh that's and I I love hunting those areas, but I think mostly because it just is really, really mind-boggling sometimes. You're like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what do I even do differently? But I do enjoy that. But, I, I mean, I totally feel for people that are like, man, you know, hunting these big woods is a struggle. It's like, yeah, it is definitely a challenge, but there's certainly – there are still certainly – you know, tendencies that you can pick up on oh, if yeah. you spend the time out there. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, we'll sit here and say situational, but, you know, the only w- way that you learn situational tactics is to put yourself into a bunch of different situations. In those big woods, too, I don't know that when you bump them, as long as, as, long as you're playing the wind properly and when you're going in there, um, if you bump them, you're usually bumping them off sight or sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, or often anyway, if you're being careful about your wind, they're not going to go that far. Right. They're going to go up and over a ridge and three or 400 yards away, and then they're going to go to the next safe spot. And if you're dealing with a big area, you're still in the game. Yep. You're still in the game potentially even that day. Yep. Um, whereas versus if you're hunting a small public piece with a couple of thick little woodlots that they consistently bed in, well, if you go in there and you get, get your scent in that woodlot, and he smells it. He may not come back to that thing for some time. Mm-hmm. He might leave and go to a different one. I mean, just depends. But 
we I, th- I feel like we've had more success with that and like bumping them and dumping them or bumping them and getting on them again just immediately afterwards in those bigger woods yeah, settings agree. in the hills like that seems like we've done that numerous times mm-hmm. in different states and different scenarios but that's one common theme is that when you bump them there they go up and over a ridge and down into a bottom and then you're not there anymore right in their brain it's just like oh i'm safe <laughs> right i'm good I put terrain between me and, the, and that danger. Yeah. Unless you got 15 guys with guns that are on his trail and they're and all his relatives are dying around him, in which case he's going to get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any uh, like unique bedding situations that you've noticed recently? Or something I don't think so. Out? I don't think, but um, you know, we're talking about ditches. I'm, I can think of three hunts this year that we've had, tonight being another one. Ted's muzzleloader buck and then the buck that I killed in Nebraska all hunting low in elevation in spots where swirling winds are typically a nightmare but having and it's all been steady winds 15 to 20 miles an hour blowing in a certain direction basically right through a terrain feature right through the ditch and having steady winds and being able to hunt those spots and we've Mm -hmm. killed almost killed a buck tonight and I killed a buck in Nebraska and that's low in the ter- low in the low in elevation basically hunting a narrow ditch mm-hmm. but the wind was blowing right through it and then ted's uh mm-hmm. your muzzleloader buck yeah was the wind was just acting perfect blowing right through the yeah. terrain and not yeah. swirling well here's the, the tricky part is is that these ditches at the tops of them where they be, where they begin there's always just ridiculous amounts of sign and there's usually the top of that ditch forms a heck of a trail because any deer that are mm-hmm. that are crossing the top of the ridge, you know, these ditches are real steep. They're ravines. Yeah, they just swoop around the top of that ditch. Mm-hmm. There's rubs and scrapes and a heavy beaten dirt trail there, maybe two or three of them. It's like, well, right here's where I got to set up and I got to sit all day for a nine day straight. Well, you might kill one if you do that. But that's the that's the hard part about that is that it's sitting there for nine days no it's like <laughs> well, yes yeah absolutely but it's like man look at all this sign this deer sign right here why am i gonna go in the bottom of this ditch yeah. uh-huh. where there's no trail and it's just a ravine it's like why would anything ever f- try to meander through this they're steep bouldery mess yeah but oh, that's yeah. where the that's where they're at during the day mm-hmm one one thing I guess that I want to talk about quickly before we wrap up, but differing from what you said about the wind coming through in in like some of the big stuff that I've hunted where you are trying to hunt a ditch, I like the complete opposite. I want like no wind. Yes, mm-hmm. that works too. Only mm-hmm. playing that thermal. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, I can think of this one spot where. Um, probably should have hunted more but i found some big scrapes and like a really big scale um hub where you're like a thermal hub or what we've referred to as a thermal hub where there's a bunch of ridges that pour down and there's like kind of that you know turkey foot type of yeah creek um confluence there and there was these big scrapes right in that spot and it was like man this is such a sweet place you know to catch a cruising buck and they're obviously coming through here but the wind was such a problem that ted (laughs) the wind was such a problem that it felt like you had to have like 
no wind. Yeah. But then when you have no wind, how do you get down in there? So again, you come from the bottom. Yeah, that would be. But but it was landlocked from you know the sure. side where you would come up the bottom. Of course. It's just like. Yeah, it's like back to the perfect <laughs> access thing. It's like, like, oh, I've got a plan. No, wait. No, yeah, I don't. It's like, well, we're never going to get in there. But I, I just find, uh, yeah, I find it all, I guess, so stupid situational. But it's yeah. it's really fun to, like, try to figure out those places. And I really like that using no wind, too. Thermal or just different temperatures or how, you know, the air is settling is really fascinating to me and you know a lot of these hilly places you have to really pay attention to that even to the point of you know maybe right now it's not doing it but what's it going to do in the last 30 minutes when you might actually right. come through here and i think that i mean well here's a I here's a like comparison here that. so you've got a deep ditch ravine it's not a creek it's a drainage and they're using that but this thing's full of logs and boulders and everything else. Like it's hard to get for you to physically get up and down that thing mm -hmm. versus a similar situation that's close by, but it's a Creek that's running down and it's just ever so slightly flatter mm -hmm. around where that Creek is and slightly wider at the bottom. Well, in that, in that scenario, you might be able to come from the bottom on a dead calm evening and be much, much quieter than you would if you were up top or on the side hill because there's sand down there, yeah. there's more moisture down there, and you're out of sight. Those deer are up higher on the ridge where they're more susceptible to hearing those day winds and stuff that they may be up in a bowl or on a bench or something like that where you can slip up those that creek quietly on a dead calm evening and then set up and then have your wind pull right back down the way that you come in and ideally i'd love to do that in some of these ditch spots but there's giant freaking logs and yeah. boulders all through there and you definitely you can't meander your way up through it yeah but it, it's it's like there's not a one-size-fits-all answer there but um if you can come from the low side in some of those situations where it's dead calm and have your wind pull back down that's ideal yeah i like that what you said though about using a creek to go up quietly because uh, back to the conditions thing on calm days because I like to move and I, I just can't sit real still on calm days. I like to find places that allow me to move without making any noise. So like, for example, I like a, like a logging road right along some water, something like right along a Creek where you can get your boot on that super, you know, soft, sandy stuff. Um, you know, those would be the types of days where you could, you know, paddle around or something up a creek. And just um, being in those creeks in general, if you can move up without the logs, which oh, is yeah, a it huge just depends. issue. Just, it just totally depends on the scenario. But, but if, that's, you know if, if you scout them, then you know what you're dealing yeah. with. Well, and the other thing, too, what I like about a calm day, I, I have this tendency to really enjoy hunting super calm days because I love listening. I love just being on those quiet paths and using my ears. For example, when Roy and I had that super close call last year where the buck comes in mm -hmm. to like point blank and he, you know, was behind the log and just didn't have a shot. And that, that day was exactly one of these days. We were using a logging trail where we could make no noise and we were using our ears to you know anticipate where that movement was coming from 
and I really, man, I really like that. I feel like for whatever reason, I can just lock. It's it's kind of like the turkey hunting, you know, when you can just sit there and you you listen so. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the word is, but you're like listening. I, I just said this to Nick. That's your advantage and your disadvantage, and that's totally, using the conditions totally. to your in your favor. Yep. In that particular instance. But if you have um, those routes, as you're hunting, you know, as you're checking out different areas or you're scouting in the off season, whatever it may be. Take note of those little places that, man, I might be able to use this really easily to stay quiet. Or maybe it's even just a, you know, a strange ditch or something where there's grass in there, but you know your sound's not going to travel out of there or yeah. something. It's just... Or you I, go down a creek in a canoe that morning. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you're able just to slide down that thing dead quiet and you can listen up on the on the banks around you for deer crunching around in that frosty grass or whatever it and is. a big buck can lock down his doe about 40 yards from you and dead mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> watch him all morning dead can drain the amazing night vision footage of him <laughs> over yeah. There. but yeah, yeah. I, I just i think that you know that plays back into that conditions thing and, and make a note of all those little things and you know again it all comes back to just spending the time out there and just trying to chip away at putting those pieces together you're gonna get it wrong pretty much 10 gonna, times out of 10 you're gonna get it wrong a long time but yeah anybody have any final thoughts bedtime for mm, me bedtime huh? yep bedtime i think it's shower time i think you uh, gotta get up my scent control is not going the way that i was hoping it would be <laughs> i haven't showered since i left home need an ozone machine scent crusher out here in the, no in you the need cabin. a scent blender is what you need you need one of these scent blenders. Yeah, that's what you, you get. Need. That and you just put some wild grass and herbs in there if you want. Shake it up, put a little water in it, turn that sucker on. It blends it up, and then you spritz yourself with it. <laughs> and you spray like the, you can smell like the nature, the in the nature that you want, not just the nature that says the flavor on the bottle. You can make your own flavor. Man, I'll tell you what, I smell like nature, but it's <laughs> a human bio nature. <laughs> there you go. Hey, good night, everybody. See y'all.